70 record closing highs so far for the day. Blasting through a ceiling. In a record-setting IPO. Investors who have been riding the wave. When the stock market is booming, we're made to believe the economy is booming. As the stock market goes, so goes the wealth and the health and economy. So what exactly is the stock market measuring? Good evening, good evening, good evening, 98.4 Capital FM, and welcome to the Financial Forecast, where we give you accurate and timely global market outlook on demand. Alongside Ken Gishinga, Chief Economist at Mentor Economics, and myself, Danny Muni, to listen to us online, www.radio.capitalfm.co.ke forward slash listen live, or download the iCapitalFM radio app on any of your devices. Be the first to know what's happening every Monday morning, bright and early, by visiting www.mentoria.co.ke to subscribe. You can reach us today and any other Tuesday on WhatsApp 0701-984-984, or you can tweet us at Capital FM Kenya hashtag Financial Focused. Good evening, Ken. Good evening, Danny. How is everything? Everything is well. It's an interesting week playing out already. So much to discuss. I was sharing an experience with some friends and they asked me why I didn't go out on Saturday and I said, I'm under the Finance Act. <laughs> it's now become an obligation just like you would want to pay anything else in your life. <laughs> so, <laughs> I also house levied myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, you house funded. <laughs> All right, good, good. So, we can jump into this one already. Um... The international markets look really rattled. What's going on? Yeah, data just came out from China and the data has not been looking really good. Uh, The exports are down, imports are down, much more than what uh, economists had expected. So a lot of people are really worried about uh, the direction of global growth. Uh, And even the numbers that came out, the jobs numbers that came out from the U.S. on Friday, I mean, it was still lower than was expected, about 188,000 jobs were created and people had expected to be about 200,000 jobs. So that also, um, in fact, people are saying, you know, the American economy is sort of like a Goldilocks economy. It's growing not too fast and not too slow. But I think the big concern, right, is China. Really, things are moving from bad to worse. What's happening in China? What's making the drivers not drive? (laughs) What's stopping the economic drivers in China not drive the economy? (laughs) I think somebody did say this is an economic long COVID, mm-hmm. really, for China. And obviously, I mean, you remember that very strict um, COVID restriction, the zero um, COVID policy. It meant really everything had to shut down. And this is the world's factory that's shutting down. So obviously, um, two, three years of no activity really uh, made things uh, significantly worse. In terms of income, people are laid off. Apple didn't have jobs, all those manufacturing companies shut down. So actually right now, you know, when the rest of the world is thinking about the problems of inflation, China is actually approaching a deflation, which is actually a much worse situation. And Japan has been stuck in a deflation for almost two decades. They had to fight deflation. So it, it almost appears that the way Japan went in the 90s is the direction that China is going, unless some major things happen. Of course, there are other things of the property market, which you've said, it's been a major slump there. Uh, but really, I think COVID really was uh, sort of like the that final nail in the coffin. 
And if we were to use a three-legged fork or stool in this instance, what would China need to be able to kind of, you know, give that oomph, some kind of injunction into the into the economy for it to, you know, make the drivers kind of start roaring again? Well, they have been slashing interest rates big time. You know, when all the rest of the world has been raising interest rates, China has been slashing interest rates. Uh, but also, they're really worried about being highly leveraged. Really, their debt levels are, are significant, and there's that fear that additional debt might actually cause, cause distress. So that's one of the big issues. And there's also the issues that people are not spending as much as they used to. So households are saving more. Uh, people are piling up deposits. If you look at deposit, Chinese household deposits since 2015, they've really, really um, skyrocketed. So it tells you money is not circulating. And if, when money is not circulating, it means businesses are not doing very well. There's an interesting story, a ton of events in the U.S., they're coming towards the close of their, their, their property markets and there seems to be some rush. You know, guys are outbidding each other in terms of purchasing homes. They're even going to the extent of writing love letters to the sellers. <laughs> what could be happening there that is almost conflicting with now what's coming, the numbers that are coming out of the U.S.? Well, the labor markets are still very strong in the U.S. And as much as the Fed has really tightened, interest rates are at the highest level in 22 years, the labor market, we're still at unemployment levels of about 3.5. So the labor market is still very uh, good. In fact, that's one of the reasons even some people are saying the Fed should continue um, tightening. So the fact that people still have jobs, uh, the fact that uh, some sectors are actually growing, like if you look at the tech sector, those cities around the tech sector is actually doing uh, very, very uh, reasonably well. So I think those are some of the big drivers sort of like uh, playing out um, in this. But if you look at the earnings really that came out through the S&P, about four out of five companies in the S&Ps have already declared their earnings and many of them beat their forecasts. Many of them did um, extremely well. So a lot of people are asking if all these macro indicators are looking good, un- unemployment is low, inflation is coming down, uh, recession seems to have disappeared, why are small businesses still hurting? And I think small businesses tend to be in a whole different universe from the big corporates, from the alphabets, the Amazons. Um, they don't have the markets to China that these big companies have. So there's sort of like almost two economies are playing out in the United States. But I think that property rush you've mentioned is really being driven by, you know, profit taking being, uh, profits being um, um, booked and people using those dividends to really drive up uh, the property markets. Let's come to the continent. How's it looking <coughs> for the big five in within within Africa? Well, it's really mixed. If you look at the performance last week, really, um, obviously the largest is the South African one. The all share was down 1.8%, uh, with Nigeria down 0.34%. Uh, I think that was sort of negative in the in the sense that, you know, with all these problems happening in the global markets, people are expecting sort of like people to come and explore. Uh, but really, if you look at Egypt and Kenya, it's marginally up 0.41%. And 0.72. So I'd say it's still very marginal activity around the continent. You're not seeing like really, really big, big moves. Uh, but obviously, issues around currency will be a big deal. Um, you know, the reason SA really is is popular is you have a lot of what you call rand hedge stocks, stocks that pay you dividends um, in foreign currency. So I think those are the dynamics that will continue playing uh, moving forward. Today marks the one year anniversary since you went to vote for the new regime. 
the dollar just hit 150. I don't know if that's the market rate, but looking at the central bank's website, they are actually arguing the rate at 142. Is there any chance that we are able to get a hold of this thing or is it just going to take flight and then just leave us and disappear? Well, it is one anniversary and that's, I'd say, congratulations to the administration. It's never easy <laughs> to mm-hmm. run um, any government. Uh, but yeah, the currency situation, much of it is being driven by external events. It's really what the Fed is doing. And if people say the Fed will continue tightening, you'll see more capital flight uh, leaving the continent, which is not an entirely bad thing if you're export-oriented. The problem we have in Kenya and in many parts of Africa is we're importers. We're not importers. So things become expensive, the food, the fuel. But if you know, we're able to move this economy to an export-driven, then actually this actually becomes, the wind actually becomes uh, behind our sails, not in front. We've sung that song for so long. I think we might have to do a thing around... Uh, export market, you know, a song and we just <laughs> get some choir members from CBK to join us. Looking at commodities, metals, all of them are down. So is it that there is some significant impact from what's coming out of China and, and the US or because even gold, for instance, that's supposed to be a hedge when there's increased inflation, it seems to be dropping. Yeah, I think for gold, it's it's a temporary thing. If you look at quarter on quarter, gold has actually gone up 4.3%. Some of the companies like Barry Gold you know, have really booked great profits. Obviously, uh, these, these are aberrations. But things like copper, definitely it's about demand, Chinese demand. So if China is not importing, and remember, the reason China has this road and belt initiatives in Africa is to be able to import all these uh, materials, there, the nickels, the the copper, the gold. So if China, if their import numbers are down, then definitely African countries that supply these commodities will also be down. So I'm not surprised to see the downward trajectory. And of course, there's slowdown in the property real estate market. Therefore, the demand for steel also is not as high as you would expect it to be if the economy was booming. Absolutely. Uh, copper, steel, the iron ores, are the building blocks. I think those will definitely be on a downward given the news that has actually come out um, just just today. Agriculture, wheat, sugar, all of them, but tea are down. So there's this nice story around tea. I think if you're a tea farmer, there's some, you know, there's some, there's some, there's some joy. You know, the bonuses that come at the end. <laughs> Can can Uneza rib watu sana, yeah? And actually Danny Kenya is <coughs> the largest uh export of black tea in the world. So definitely this is a very good story for Kenya. Um I think maybe the challenge has been we need to diversify our markets. I think we've been focused on the Sri Lankas, uh the Pakistans, the Egypts and uh, many of which have political upheavals. You know, I think part of the new thinking is how do we um, really, you know, embrace new markets and be able to sell because Kenyan tea is actually really appreciated. So this is something that definitely can boost. You know, tea is one, I think, probably third, number two, number three in terms of um, foreign currency earnings. So it's a, it's a very huge story for Kenya. And if we were also in the space of diversifying, still find more land to increase the acreage that you hold for tea as a country. So then we can export more. Yes, indeed. I mean, if you think of the highlands where we actually have um, 
both the Mount Kenya Islands and the Western Highlands, um, there is a still a lot more um, opportunity to be able to put that land to good use, to be able to um, cultivate more. Um, I think the challenge has been the thing about it. Sometimes it 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 flips flops. Sometimes okay. you yeah. you get new competition coming in from Pakistan, from Sri Lanka. But I think given Kenya's sort of stability. Uh, track record, tradition, and heritage in that sector. Definitely, I think counties that have never explored it, I think, should, and should be able to. Um, uh, yeah, definitely, because Kenyan climate actually lends itself very, very well to tea. Crude, it's declining. OPEC Plus and all the other associations that deal with this commodity have continued insisting on cuts, but the cuts are not really resembling the kind of expectations that want in terms of market valuation or let's say the price as it were. Yeah, you know, OPEC is a cartel and they are trying to find a flow to uh, crude oil prices. The only problem is outlook on global demand keeps getting worse and worse. With the latest Chinese numbers, people look at American jobs numbers, Europe, you know, Germany is really the sick man of Europe. So it, 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 it tells you that global growth outlook is low. So it means in as much as they are trying to create a flow by cutting, it means the lower expectations really mean prices are coming down. And obviously that's not what they want to see. So I might expect to see even further cuts as they try to prop, prop it up. A big story coming out of Kenya now as we shift gears the CBK has unveiled a groundbreaking bond trading platform known as the Central Securities Depository, CBK Dow CSD. There was so much excitement that bond trading in the Nairobi Securities Exchange experienced a near halt uh, because stockbrokers were swift, swiftly scrambling to register clients on the new depository. Can you explain to us What's the difference between, you know, now holding this new acquisition, the the Dow CSD, from any other account that maybe you'd use ideally to trade, like let's say with Edendovu or with uh, Stanley Wealth, Wealth Management Fund, any of these guys. What's the difference if you have the CBK one and any of these others? Yeah, this is a nice piece of innovation by the central bank. Um, traditionally, Danny, a lot of the players in the bonds market have been the big corporates. These are commercial banks, pension funds, um, the corporate entities. And there has been a feeling that uh, retail investors, that's you and I and the supermarket next door, mm. they need to also participate and get good returns, particularly now when treasury bonds are yielding up to, what, 16% on some of the tenors. So there's a feeling that that yield has been enjoyed by the big boys. Uh, but there was a feeling that we need to start getting to almost democratize investment opportunities. And I think that app is the answer to that. You download it, the Play Store, and if you had a CDS account, all your details are transferred. And you're able to actually really do everything yourself. They have a pretty nice brochure on their website that sort of tells you step-by-step uh, step on how to set up the tool, how to be able to use it. And you get the advantage of now you get high yields. Right now, treasury bills are in the 12s, 13%. The five-year bond, uh, which I think is still um, I'm, I'm, I'm doing its rounds, I think might yield at a really good return. So I think it's it's an opportunity to get 
you know, everyday people. But the big question is, do everyday people understand <laughs> bonds and bills? You can mm-hmm. give them the tools, mm-hmm. but do they understand what's a bond, what's a bill? What's a so, bill, the differences. Yeah, so I, I would have wanted to them to maybe to do a bit of um, education, possibly on TV, on radio, on what is a bond, what is a bill? You know, why would you want it? in your portfolio but actually bonds have been giving people the best actually the best asset class today ahead of land ahead of the stocks ahead of the t-bills has been the treasury bonds so the big players have been enjoying it and it's time now for the retail investors to be able the chamas that um, all these kenyans are part of to be able to be part of it but i agree with you there needs to be some education on first of all what is a government security you know how how risky or risk free mm-hmm. is it what it's it's credit rating i'm sure we'll talk about that <laughs> uh, and, and 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 such and i think that maybe that's where maybe uh that education sort of like uh didn't quite come, come out through. yeah now, this new introduction by the central bank of kenya does it altogether remove the broker or is the broker still very instrumental in you know conducting the trade for you or advising how you trade how is it supposed to work if i don't know anything about the bond or the bills i have downloaded this dow csd app on my phone they have of course taken you through how to be to 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 operate it you know entering or entering of your details and and all of that data protection stuff but then once i'm in the platform and i have no idea what i'm supposed to do what happens then So typically in a perfect world um you should be able to do it yourself everything from A to Z. Uh, but as I said a uh, few minutes ago was the education mm. uh, on what are securities in the first place? How do you transact? You know what's a bond, what's a coupon, what's a clean price, what's a dirty price? You know all these things that um people take sort of like for granted. All those things have not been uh provided which means the dealer, I mean the brokers will still be extremely important um to the retail investors because they la- they have this information so part of me suspects maybe this was deliberate <laughs> to make sure that the dealers are, i mean the brokers are still uh part of the ecosystem uh but ideally there should have been good videos on how to do it yourself but given what has been provided out there by there's no way that an individual person will be able to do it by themselves so the broker will still be required which means the broker will still be able to make um those uh, fees but over time as somebody does a trade or two gets an infrastructure bond or two maybe you might win of uh, the need for having a broker but right now just understanding where our kenyan understanding of financial markets is i still believe uh brokers will still be essential so it doesn't remove the broker altogether no. they will be necessary to just help kenyans understand know how to conduct their businesses in some of these parameters precisely so are there any but then before this app how else would one be able to then if you have the interest invest in this kind of offerings if you wanted a bond or if you wanted a bill or uh, what you just mentioned a coupon what were the other means then that kenyans were using those who knew of how to have access to this Yeah I mean you had all the stock brokerage firms that are there where you you deposit you have an account with them uh you have your CDS account uh maybe it's your chama that has an account there so you'd give instructions 
you'd say the way you give instructions to buy and sell stocks is the same way you'd say we'd like to buy this next infrastructure bond that's coming so you'd give instructions and they would be able to execute it on your behalf and definitely they would charge uh, that commission on top of that so it was instruction based the way you deal with your bank so pretty much the people offering these services would be the banks the wealth management units uh, the stock brokerage uh, but it would be very instructions driven where you say I want this and the problem with that and what I've seen is sometimes it would be delays sometimes when the uh, the action would be executed would be a bit delayed from when you do it so maybe you even missed that opportunity or sometimes it would even be simply forgotten I know instances where uh, some of the brokerage firms have simply forgotten to execute so I think part of this app is to be able to really put destiny in your own hands when you see a big opportunity now you're able to trade it now and 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 I would love to see that op- app being open to other securities across the world where you can be able to buy uh, bonds and uh, uh, bills in other countries I hope that's sort of like the next layer interesting because um, that's of what I was going to ask you next does so does this app allow me to invest beyond the bills and the bonds maybe if we start there before I even ask would it allow me then to buy bonds for from Uganda or to buy bonds from Sweden well what they have marketed so far has been for your domestic securities here uh whether there is in plans to be able to, I think it be a, it's an excellent plan to be able to expose people to as much but i think the focus for them is to be able to also bring in all these deposits that are sitting um in Kenya because what really competes in the normal bonds are the corporate deposits but there's that feeling of you have all these small pockets of deposits what if they competed for these bonds maybe interest rates would be lower which would be a good thing so maybe they might not be in a hurry to open it up to other markets they might want to be able to tap onto this deposit so i expect it to be very kenya focused at least um in the medium term there is a thorn in the flesh and you know for those of you who are not fortunate enough to have access to the weekly global report from mentoria and you can actually receive it by registering on www.mentoria.co.ke this was the opening line for this week's report and i quote There was a time it was nearly inconceivable that the ratings of the United States would be anything short of triple A. The recent downgrade by Fitch to AA+ has sent shockwaves across the investment universe, exposing the extent to which fiscal policy has weakened in the world's largest economy. End quote. Now, can the the global credit rating industry is largely and highly concentrated by three agencies right so there's moody's there's standard and poor and there's fitch give us just a, a brief history of how these credit ratings came to be well you're absolutely right danny the the big three mm. um snp uh fitch and moody's really control 95% of the credit rating market so they are a big deal Uh, so you can imagine all the others fit into the next uh, 5%. Um the idea behind it is to give investors some transparent understanding on what the risk of a particular asset class especially if it's sovereign credit risk where you're talking about a country such as the United States or Kenya where 
it gives an investor the idea that, okay, I think I understand the political risk, the economic risk, um, and other risks, credit risks that come, the ability to service debt. So that's where that industry has evolved, uh, very big on sovereign credit, but also plays in corporate credit and other uh, other segments. But I think what made the news and what you just alluded to is, you know, the downgrading of the United States um, economy, really, uh, from AAA. Um, you know, we, Danny, we live in such a dollarized world. Um, outside the U.S. alone, we have about $12 trillion that's just moving around, transacting. And some of it is cross-border. Maybe a Saudi bank wants to buy a Turkish business. A French company wants to buy a Chinese real estate development. So you have $12 trillion outside. So the dollar is really, and that's why I keep saying it's really um, the currency that drives the global economy. So when the issuer is uh, downgraded from a AAA, um, obviously that um, sent shockwaves because a lot of people didn't expect. Obviously, the authorities have played it down. Um, Janet Yellen said, you know, that's dependent on old data. But the fact that, you know, even that was even possible to a lot of people, it's considered the safe haven. You know, when these issues in the rest of the world, you'll buy your American securities. That's always been the safe haven. So it was an interesting moment. It doesn't mean that um, that um, it might not significantly affect. I think a lot of people still hold the view that the United States is sort of the safe haven, but it's it's a commentary on also how difficult fiscal policy in the United States are. You saw how a few months ago here we were discussing the political trade-offs before the budgets. Um, so it shows even the best economy is really not immune to uh, poor um, fiscal policy. If I do a math exam, I earn marks from maybe how I show the method to which I arrive to the answer and then the answer. So maybe you could say in part two for showing how you've worked out your answer and two marks so you get a total of four for every question or whatever, however they want to apportion it. What are the parameters that these three credit rating giants use to now decide that I'm giving Kenya a Z plus, I'm giving US a U minus, whatever, or up to where they use the letters to. What what are, what are these parameters? Well, there are big buckets. Uh, the big buckets would be like the political risk, where they'd look at you know what how is the political stability in the country? Are you having coups every day, or are you having pretty much a democratic system? Then you have the economic, which is really the big one. You know what's your debt structure like? How much of your revenue is going towards surfacing debt? Uh, because that gives you a feeling of, you know, if too much of your tax revenue is going towards service debt, it means you're under stress, you're under strain. Um, then you just have other issues, things on exposure to terrorism, exposure to other things. But the economic bucket is where most of these issues are. If you have a euro bond, are you getting enough dollars in the economy to be able to make that $2 billion payment next year? Or are you trying to do some buybacks, which is what Moody was saying. If you do buybacks, yeah, like for Kenya, that might constitute a default. So that economic bucket is sort of central. And they try not to give um, a percentage in terms of what the probability of default is. What they give is a letter. 
they'll give you triple A or triple B. Um, but still, there are some studies that have sort of tried to connect what a triple A means in terms of percentage uh, probability of defaulting. But they try not to uh, um, give that explicitly. So the economic bucket is really where they look at all the issues on fiscal policy, monetary policy, uh, non-performing loans in the banking sector, all these ratios that we look at. Now, somebody might ask, why would three different um, entities give a different rating mm-hmm. if they're all using yes, yes, the, yes, the same yes. formula? But the weightings could be different. Maybe the weighting you uh, allocate to political risk could be greater in one company than another one. Maybe the weighting you give to economic. So I think while the parameters might be the same, the weights that you apply to each might be different, and that's why the computation might sometimes sort of be uh, a bit different. So if you look at AAA right now, I think possibly only Singapore, uh, possibly and a few other countries have that AAA. Maybe Singapore, Norway, Switzerland, those are considered sort of like the least riskiest um, countries. So uh, the parameters might be the same, but definitely the weightings uh, might vary from agency to agency. These ratings are characterized by letters. Can you maybe just take us through how or what brought about them now deciding to use that these letters are what is going to, you know, rate the sovereign uh, economic health of a nation? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think it it really borrows heavily from the academic approach to grading, where an A means excellent, really, a B is okay and I see is you need to work harder. So I think it just borrows from from there. But now you have triple A. Within the A you have double A, small A, double A plus. So each of those has a probability attached to default. So a triple A really means that you have almost zero percent of default. And as you go down the ladder, as you work your way to your B's uh, what you call investment grade level below investment grade level, then it tells you that you know these assets might actually have a high level or high probability of default. You mentioned securities. What determines the risk in investing in some of these securities? It really depends on what securities you're looking at. If you're looking at, for example, the bonds and the bills that, uh, like the CBK app, is trying to help you to purchase then you're looking at Kenya as a country. It's bond market, and you want to ask yourself, what is the probability that the government will honor these bond payments? And that the government has done a good job in terms of always honoring the bond payments. Uh, Part of the reason is because uh, debt in Kenya has what is called the fast charge on the exchequer. So when the tax revenues are brought in by KRA, the fast... Um, charge is really towards the creditors, the bondholders. And that's why even when you do a euro bond, have you ever asked yourself, why do all these African countries do euro bonds? And they're always oversubscribed. Yet all these foreigners are always saying Africa is so risky, is always so dangerous. Mm-hmm. But when they do a euro bond, like they're always oversubscribed. It's because of that clause that says the debt has a fast charge. So whatever you collect as a country, the f- before you pay your doctor's before you build your schools, uh, before uh, you send money to the counties, you got to pay your creditors. And that's 
I think now the challenge you have now as a country where almost 50% of our tax revenue is actually going towards servicing creditors. So we need to rethink those ratios. We need to bring those numbers down because you need money circulating in an economy. When you have too much money going towards paying creditors, it means you have too little for counties, for devolution. So those are the ratios that really the government really needs to be looking at and making sure that it comes down. You know, when you talk about the United States, we're always saying, oh, their debt levels are so high, it's 100% of GDP, the UK, 100% of GDP. But if you look at what their debt servicing costs as a percentage of tax revenue, it's actually very tiny. I think in the US, it's about 13%. In the UK, it's about 14%. And in that 14%, they consider it very distressful. In Kenya, it's 50 so we need to move away from this whole debt to GDP, which we've talked about. It doesn't make sense. Ask yourself, what is a debt service to tax revenue? That's that's really the indicator that tells you how well a country is doing. So those are the risks now when people are buying bonds. We look at, you know, how risky is this government? You know, when your bonds are 16 17%, it sounds so good. Who will give you 16% risk-free? But when a deal is too good, you know. Think twice. <laughs> exactly. So, as an individual investor, and I have downloaded the Dow CSD app, how do I get this information that now determines, determines the risk and then helps me make an informed decision as to how to invest? Because you've just said if a deal is too good, then think twice. <laughs> I could put in money and then... Even as someone who is owed by the government, I still don't get first charge when the money is collected. Right. Uh, well, assessing the risk, I mean, that's it, a lot of work. You could, somebody could argue historical data, Kenya has never defaulted on its bond, bond market. So you could say technically it's risk-free because Kenya has never defaulted. But I think somebody wants to scratch beyond the surface, wants to really look at the numbers, particularly the one that I've mentioned of how much money are we going to pay in terms of servicing debt versus how much money is carry bringing in. When that percentage starts being very high, it starts telling you that there will be a strain on the economy. So yes, they might be able to raise enough to pay you off, but the question is, Will the businesses be able to pay that tax when the business environment is very, very subdued and the government gets money from businesses? So if businesses are feeling that pain, that weight, will they be able to, and you've bought a 10-year bond, you know, for example. So those are sort of the subtle um, things that investors look at, but it's a science. Credit risk is, I mean, people go, people have PhDs in credit risk. It's a whole science uh, of of numbers and equations um, that really um, one would have to get into. But typically, sovereign credit risk is considered low risk uh, because governments, because of those clauses that I've just mentioned. Now, back to the credit uh, rating agencies. The, the decisions they make and the output they give heavily and strongly influences the investor perception and the credit worthiness of a nation, of global governments. How is it possible then that private companies can act like sovereign judges, you know, just pass opinions and which are even binding, so that then 
if you are downgraded and you maybe had just mentioned the interest of throwing out a euro bond, then maybe even nobody is going to subscribe to it. You're right. I mean, at the end of the day, these are companies with human beings um, making huge decisions. And as I said, they control 95% of the global rating. But where it's most significant is when it comes to trading, like for example, let's say Kenya is upgraded or downgraded. Typically, for somebody sitting in uh, New York City, a trader in one of the big investment banks was a big terminal and really looking at buying and selling, it means obviously the interest, the cost of credit becomes higher or lower. So if you're downgraded, it means you're riskier. So it means you actually need to pay bondholders more and, and, and vice versa. So these things are so automated. So it's it's even really about you've been given this downgrading, so you need to go have a meeting. Sometimes they filter through the systems automatically. All these terminals process that you've gone from A, A plus to an AA and automatically recalculate the risk of the company. So there are algorithms that do this. And those algorithms tell you this is the new price you need to be bidding given the new risk. So it's so automated. But you're right. The people say it's a company. It's human beings who do it. But I think the industry has come to a level where there are formulas of how these things should be conducted. So if numbers are coming out, they are instantly put into a model. So even the space for human intervention is becoming more and more. In fact, somebody might argue that even the future as we move towards AI is all these things might start being collected from the internet and calculating and recalculating. But still, there's some elements that still require human um, determination. They're not very clear-cut, like the issue of Kenya and its ability to buy back its bond. Does that constitute a default or not? Now, that's sort of almost like a legal question because now you have to ask yourself, Will the investors face a loss if the buyback is at par value? Now, those are almost like now legal, constitutional definitions, and no algorithm can determine that. So there's still some element of, as you say, subjectivity, human decision, but I think a big chunk of it is just raw numbers going into formulas and spitting out ratings. Sorry, and allow me to take you back. You've, so that I can understand you properly. You've just said that when the ratings are done, so in Kenya's case, for instance, we have a euro bond that is being held by investors. With a downgrade, that means you pay more interest to the investors. So the, at this point, the investors are not complaining. Now, what if it was an upgrade? Let's say Kenya had come from whatever that was, it went to double A, small a. Does then the recalculation mean that you pay less to the investors of the Eurobond? Yeah, that's a fascinating question. That is yes. I, I, I think a lot of people are so used to the downgrading that they have actually... Never thought that <laughs> That you can actually be upgraded. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Uh, the when you upgrade it means your risk profile um, has reduced so the yields on your bonds would come down because you're considered less risk it's just 
that doesn't happen as frequently and as often and that's why i think almost people are almost numb to the issue of in fact the word downgrading is almost associated with <laughs> so investors <laughs> know the that there is no point in time where they'd go out and purchase a euro bond and all of a sudden they hear that the economy of that sovereign nation has been upgraded i mean it, highly it, unlikely <laughs> especially if you're dealing within the context of africa it changes all the time the yields always go up and down depending on the global situation if the fed is raising interest rates obviously that affects african euro bonds but if a good story like kenya discovers oil or kenya finds a new market for its gold. flour for gold definitely those positive news and that's why there's an active secondary market for trading the euro bond where it's the yields are always moving up and down depending on the news commentary that's coming out from the terminal so it does move up and down uh, but when you talk about the the credit ratings as a country definitely i think what makes the news more often is a downgrade <laughs> that tends to be the downgrade so downgrades happen and sovereign nations can even ask for meetings with some of these credit rating agencies right to kind of see why is this rating been put upon us or try to understand what uh approaches they used to to decide now this rating is going down they can but often they choose to critic uh those rating agencies um and even in the US all the the big three you've mentioned are american um agencies and they were downgrading the american economy and so Janet Yellen said those numbers are out of date so typically you'll find governments tend to be defensive um here in Kenya when you see a downgrade they'll be like uh that's not really reflective of the situation on the ground um in fact there's even a proposal that the Africa Union should even have its own African uh, rating uh, mechanism because there are people who feel that this is sort of uh, imperial sort of like um, approach uh, of uh, western companies western companies judging african nations so those things that tend to be on the ground but what you'd find is the treasuries tend to um they tend to maybe ignore or critique and say actually that's not accurate it's based on old data recent data it's we have new things that they don't know because also those the data they agencies are, are are using maybe 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 dated so you'd find most treasury just tend to really critique and and just move on with life really also knowledgeable mighty can now <laughs> i uh, unpack this for us so there is a structure of these credit rating agencies right and i read on the council of foreign affairs that there's the issue pays uh subscriber pays principle what's this about so essentially on how the structure of the debt is um any types of debt have uh different levels of um how they are structured um the rating agencies tend to be very clear on uh even the formulas on really how the different levels of uh the debt holders are and what you've just defined really is the dynamics between each of those debt holders what tends to happen quite a lot is and that's part of the reason going back to the question on why do different companies have different um ratings on the same company now those are the parameters that they tend to look at where they may place a bigger emphasis on uh this ability of a uh, payment so even for Kenya it's just moody's 
that has talked about the issue of the buyback. The others have not. So maybe in the others, their own research mm-hmm. are saying there could be possibilities where a buyback does not constitute a loss. A default. Yeah, to investors. So that's where I'm saying there is, you know, in economics, there are two parts of economics, what called the normative economics and positive economics. Positive is the one that you all agree, it's data-driven, like inflation. Inflation is 7.3%. That's what you call normative. You can't debate, it's a number. That's a positive, sorry, the positive economics. The normative is more subjective. It can be de- influenced by your political persuasion. Um, it can be influenced by your outlook on life. So it's always a debate. There's no sort of like right answer. It just really depends on the interpretation. So I think part of these ratings is there are some normative issues, but part of it is they have positive issues. So it's really like that whole conversation around philosophy versus science, where cause and effect and effect and cause and all of these things apply. Now, when you look at credit rating agencies, they do this for, you know, for bonds, securities, sovereign nations, and position their letters or score those countries or those bonds or whatever. Can this apply to companies? Indeed, indeed. In fact, that is sort of like the direction uh, the world is moving. In fact, that is where there is the most activity on the corporate credit. I, I think in Kenya it's been sort of uh, delayed. Uh, it's not been as active, but I know right now there's a big push towards companies having corporate credit ratings because the beauty about it is with a good corporate credit rating, if you went to the capital markets and wanted to issue a corporate bond, for example, you should be able to do it like tomorrow because you have a corporate credit, so anybody wants to buy that bond, they see a corporate credit, so it should make it easier. So I know there are some efforts um, to be able to do this, but it's not been in our tradition. You know, a lot of our funds are raised from the banks um, through loans, but, you know, if we wanted to make our capital markets more vibrant, it would mean that all these entities, you can imagine if Nakumat, for example, wanted to, at the time of its height, issue a corporate bond, they, sh- they would have had a corporate credit listing. They go to the Capital Markets Authority and people buy bonds and maybe they would not have collapsed. Maybe the money they would have raised would have helped them restructure and sort of like uh, uh, retool their strategic plan. So part of the reason we keep saying we need our capital markets to be a bit more vibrant is because these are the possibilities. But they're only possible when companies have um, credit rating. So it's definitely uh, one of the big things um, globally, regionally, and I, I expect to see it here in Kenya. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen responding to Fitch's downgrade of the U.S.'s credit rating saying, quote, I strongly disagree with Fitch's decision. The change announced today is arbitrary and based on outdated data. Fitch's quantitative ratings model declined markedly between 2018 and 2020, and yet Fitch is announcing it's changed now, despite the progress that we see in many of the indicators that Fitch relies on for its decision. Many of these measures, including those related to governance, have shown improvement over the course of this administration with the passage of bipartisan legislation to address the debt limit, invest in infrastructure, and make other investments in America's competitiveness. Again, this is the statement from Janet Yellen, Treasury Secretary, on the heels of that downgrade. So does the Secretary of Treasury in the U.S. complaining about this kind of ratings 
and she of course comes from the country where these ratings are done so is it right to say then that our president really wasn't crying wolf when he was saying that by downgrading Kenya then it's not really a true reflection of how the state of the economy is well one of the key phrases you had in that clip is she talked about governance and remember you had asked me what are the things that we look at Determine when you do your ratings so governance is a significant part and i really believe uh the two and fro we saw a few months ago uh before the bipartisanship uh agreement was passed uh, that really um that brinkmanship almost to the last day i think that in many people's eyes sort of downgraded so i think that governance component is big so when you transfer that and come here to kenya remember last year last week around this time the president said the cabinet needs to um, wake up wake up and up its game up you know, and know their up. stuff exactly and know the stuff so to somebody who's in a rating agency would be like oof so i think maybe we need to downgrade uh-huh. a notch so you find and that's why i keep saying in ratings there are things that uh, could be subjective like governance is you know your interpretation of governance and mine could be different uh, but when it comes to hardcore numbers like ratios the ratios are ratios they don't change debt to gdp is the same to all companies but things like governance and i think that is why you find some of the agencies are a bit more vocal than others maybe they're waiting they put on governance same thing with corporate uh, ratings one of the big things they look at is the governance of a company you could have a company that's making profits from here to you know abu dhabi but maybe have never had a board meeting there's no strategic <laughs> plan <laughs> they have never you know so the component on governance oh that would be miraculous a lot of family businesses a lot of smes really are in very good cash positions they're really killing it with no board meetings no, no strategy board. <laughs> exactly i mean next week we'll be discussing family business <laughs> and a lot of them are making very very good money but they don't have the governance structure so those are the things that you know maybe a board that meets frequently uh people who have skills so if you're the marketing director you've actually taken at least one semester <laughs> you know on marketing <laughs> on marketing exactly oh I, i don't know how they do it but pretty much these are the things that and 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 that's why i suspect that governance speed is maybe is what made the american economy have been downgraded and therefore shouldn't there be you know the injection of innovation ai where it's it's more of data fed as opposed to depending on how you interpret governance and how you interpret governance and then bare statements that are actually mentioned in in, in the pure interest of making things work then they are not used against or for the kind of ratings that any one particular body would get whether it be a corporate or a, a a country so instead of using the statement that the cabinet should wake up and i decide governance here is an issue let's downgrade then it would just be i just really deciding the facts and the figures look like this for Kenya and truly it's not a b plus kind of an economy it's actually a triple a and the us that is just being downgraded from a triple a is actually a c plus ai works very well for functions that are repetitive are functions that are predictable are things that sort of follow a certain pattern ai does that extremely well where it does not do it well is in things that are 
spontaneous things that are subjective you know and even some, some like body language somebody could tell you exactly what you want to hear but the body language can actually tell you ah these two people are not on the same page despite the words being are uh, very similar so you're right ai i mean nowadays even when the fed releases its minutes there all this ai that go through the scripts able to pick up positive words negative words that's there but there are all these human subjective things that ai can't you know the the vo- the tone that was used the body language so even listening to Janet Yellen right there you know you can tell she's she's quite upset by 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 that rating so and that's why there'll always be that human intervention part that ai cannot compete so i think the future of it now the question is to what percentage can you minimize human interventions to 5% and the rest are 95 maybe that's possible but i i don't know what sort of like the the different um weightings they give but definitely the future of ai will play a big role in how ratings are are generated so the us has these three credit rating agencies we've mentioned of course i know europe does have theirs as well and in your honest opinion do you think then africa should also maybe have two or three of such bodies to you know maybe really look at the 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 african state the african economies and then maybe work in tandem with the others now you know in terms of exchanging notes maybe even making corrections where there is presumption or bias from maybe such statements like we've just discussed and then you know be able to have a more inf- informed for lack of a better word credit rating Well I mean they already exist to be honest Danny I mean South Africa you have the GCR um which is quite big on the African continent many African many Kenyan companies have a GCR credit rating um here in Kenya you have your Metropol um you have um a couple of TransUnion you have a couple of local players here and, and as I said in Europe they also have the DBSR so there are these companies that are there I think in Kenya we focused so much on the individual credit rating um the credit uh, listing um so much so that if you want to use these um apps they tend to ping um these companies this call um i think now we are graduating towards going beyond there towards corporate entities and but to your point even they need to develop capacity to be able to assess kenya itself so a kenyan rating agency needs to be able to give kenya the uh its own perspective so in the future of credit rating is companies will might have multiple ratings we'll have a fitch rating a moody's rating a kenyan rating and all those three they give more information about it so i think that is the future but i think the focus right now in kenya is going to build on the corporate credit i think that's where the market is and that's what I was asking the the companies you just mentioned that are within the continent do they actually give a credit rating are they credit rating agencies for sovereign nations maybe even within the continent forget outside and they able to say Kenya's credit rating score is a, a minus if there is something like that or if there isn't or are they able to actually get into those kind of details what they tend to do is they give an outlook 
on Kenya. Like the other day, I believe we saw Metropole two months ago give an outlook on the Kenyan economy, the outlook on inflation, interest rates. Now, to the extent now they can actually give Kenya a rating, I've never seen that. I think where they have limited themselves to is giving an outlook and an opinion um, on the country's outlook, which means from that outlook you can actually derive whether it's a positive or, or a negative. But I've not seen them get to the place where we are seeing the Fitch, the Moody's giving sort of like a very uh, standardized rating. I've not, at least at the sovereign credit, maybe they do, but I, I just haven't seen that. So is it something that maybe African Union should think of? Start two or three, maybe one in Kenya, one in South Africa, one up north, and then be able to converge all this information that comes out of these countries. Of course, Africa is plagued by different challenges, very weird stuff, coups all over, there's fighting, there is all of these things. But then in that sense, it's able to just give a proper picture that maybe Fitch, S&P, and... Um, that other one are not able to really get a hold of. No, I completely agree with you, Danny. Uh, I think it was a Nigerian writer, Chimamanda, who said, beware the dangers of a single story. So absolutely, we need to hear the stories of African rating agencies on African government so that when you as an investor want to buy Nigerian bonds, you should be able to see what a Nigerian rating agency says about Nigeria, what a Kenyan agency says about Nigeria. So you get a multiplicity of narratives and you are best to decide in the balance of evidence which of these narratives do I find most attractive. I won't spoil that ending. Catch up on this latest episode as well as previous episodes of the Financial Forecast on Capital FM SoundCloud page or anywhere else you get your podcast from. Ken, thank you very much. Thank you, Danny. We'll see you again next Tuesday.